Good morning. So our scripture reading today is Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. So a politician visited a village and asked what their needs were. So the villager said, we have two needs, sir. Firstly, we have a hospital, but there's no doctor. So on hearing this, the politician decided to make a phone call and was on the phone for a little while. And after speaking with this person and being animated and having this conversation, he reassured the village leader that there would be a doctor coming the very next day. And then he then asked, so what's your second problem? And then the village leader responded, well, the second problem is that we don't have any cell service in this village. <laughs> yeah, you know, made a cell phone call to get a doctor, but there's no cell service, you know. Yeah, all right. Just a disclaimer that there were no politicians or, and their reputation were not harmed in this uh, making of this joke. And isn't this how we feel sometimes about politicians? They make promises that they don't intend to keep. But let's be fair, not all politicians are like this, and we know they have a really hard job, and so, so we get that. But there was someone else also who made a promise, uh, and it was Abraham was also who was made a promise by God. He was to leave his family behind, and just to kind of um, remind us again, remember Abraham was part of a nomadic family and a tribe, and they were all traveling together. To, and so to leave one's home, to leave their parents, was a big deal. It meant to start over again, to almost start a new life. And Abraham wasn't a young lad when God called him. Abraham was 75 years old. And imagine yourself picking up your family and leaving your home to go to a foreign land at the age of 75. As Again, he was part of a multi-generational family. To leave your family behind meant to leave your community and your support base behind. This move was not easy, and it was a move of faith. Yet Abraham obeys and makes that move because of the promise that God had given him. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, this is the promise God makes to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says to Abraham that he will make Abraham into a great nation and will bless him. Not only will he be blessed, but others would be blessed through his, uh, his, his, his line, his, his home, his family. There was just one problem, though. We all know this. Abraham was 75 years old, and his wife, Sarah, was 65. And, so, and Sarah was barren at this time. Yet Abraham believed God and trusted that this would happen. I just looked into it just to make sure, was 75 considered old back then? You know, is it the same kind of age as us? us? And it is, because we know later on, Abraham and Sarah hear that uh, they were going to still have a child, and they laughed at God, right, saying, you're crazy, right? I'm way too old to have a kid, right? So they themselves knew they were old. And yet we would see in the story of Abraham that God did not seem to give Abraham and Sarah, a child, that after they've made this kind of leap of faith to go into a new country, they would, in fact, try to help God out by, by using a servant as almost a, a surrogate to produce an heir. Yet, over and over again, we see that God would say to Ab- Abraham and Sarah that it will be through both of them and through their child that God would bring about this great nation. I mean, like, how long would you wait for a promise to be fulfilled? One year? Five years? Ten years? Twenty-five years? In the case of Abraham and Sarah, they had to wait 25 years for the promise of a son was to be had. That's like a mortgage loan. 25 years? Well, these days, you know, for, for most of us, it's 35 years, right? Anyways, Abraham and Sarah had to wait patiently beyond the age of birth giving to receive the promise of a son. And this is the story that the preacher of Hebrews refers to in our passage this morning. God made a promise to Abraham and wanted to assure Abraham and Sarah that God will bless them and give them many descendants. Verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. This verse 14 is a quotation from Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 to 18, where Abraham obeyed God. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham and from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations will be on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This passage is right after God had asked Abraham to sacrifice the very son that God promised to Abraham, like a crooked politician, it feels like, who doesn't keep their promises. God here seems to want to take away the very thing that God promised Abraham and Sarah with. Isaac, the very person that God would use to bring about this great nation that they've been waiting for 25 years, God wanted Abraham and Sarah to give the son up. Yet we see in the story, Abraham obeyed God, and because of his obedience, God here swears by himself. Though this was not the first time God promised Abraham, 
that he won't bless them. Here we see God swearing by himself to bless Abraham because of Abraham's faithfulness. But when you look at the overall story of Abraham, it is clear that Abraham did not always obey God, but would stumble along the way, just like us. He lied about Sarah being his sister twice, used a slave to help God along in the process, and laughed at God that he would conceive at such an old age. Yet God seemed to not count those stumblings and stumbles against him or Sarah, but blessed them anyways, almost as though he cared more about their attempts at being faithful than their failures. When Jin and I first got married, we wanted to lease a car, but as you know, as a new young married couple, you don't have uh, a great credit. And because of that, the banks wanted us to get a guarantor. You know, a guarantor is someone who uh, will make sure, who will guarantee that if we couldn't make those payments because their financial situation is a lot more stable, that the banks trust that the guarantor will cover the costs of missed payments. In the same way, we see in our passage today that the preacher wants to remind his hearers how God made a promise and an oath to Abraham and that he will bless him and give him many descendants. God wanted to make sure and wanted to assure Abraham of this promise. And he became the guarantor to the promise he made with him and his descendants, which is us. It's like when we were kids and when someone doesn't believe a story of yours because it seems so far-fetched, they would say something like, I don't believe you. And you would say, no, no, it really did happen. I swear to God. Or I swear on my mother's grave. And why do we do that? It's because, first of all, they don't trust our words and need a word of a more, more uh, reliable authority or someone who is greater than we are to guarantee that what we've seen or experienced really happened. And so when I say, I, I swear on my mother's grave, we're saying, because I would never want my mother to die, right? Like, we're swearing that what I'm saying is true. So here the preacher of Hebrews wants his hearers to understand that just as God swore by himself to guarantee this promise to Abraham, we as his heirs also receive that same promise that God made to Abraham. Verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Look at what he says. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to his heirs, heirs which is us. To make very clear has this connotation of, of, of proof, having proof in a legal sense. To make an oath in the ancient world, there, there were two things that were needed. One, an oath was made to someone greater, like we said, I swear to God or I swear by my mother's grave. And an oath was given in a court setting to guarantee its truthfulness. So when God says he has given an oath by his name, it is because there is no one greater than God in which to swear an oath. And when God makes this oath with Abraham and so doing with us, he is guaranteeing the outcome of such a promise he has made to us. 
The reason why God gives us this proof isn't because God doesn't trust us or God doesn't trust himself. It isn't because it's based on whether or not we are able to keep our part of the bargain. God swears by himself to make sure we understand, to make sure that we can trust God, that he will accomplish what he said he will do. It's not that God doesn't trust us. We don't trust God. We are the ones who are lacking in our estimation of God who would do such a thing for us. Are you sure, God? Do you really care about me that much? Like, do you love me? Are you sure I'm part of your plans? Just as Abraham and Sarah thought it was impossible for God to give them a child, we ourselves doubt in the goodness of God and the reliability of God and question whether or not he will actually come through. We are the suspicious banker, treating God as someone who does not have enough collateral and therefore ask for some kind of guarantee that he will do what he says. And God being a generous God and knowing that we ourselves can sometimes lack in faith, isn't offended that we ask for such guarantees, but provides it and gives us security because his love for us and swears by his, un, his own unchanging nature that he will indeed bless us. It's kind of like that song in the 90s from an R&B group called All For One. <laughs> Anyone know that group, All For One? And they have a song called I Swear. It's a gr- great karaoke song if you ever wanted to uh, sing it. <laughs> and the lyrics go, go something like this. I'm not going to sing it. It says, <laughs> give me, a, I need a mic. Yeah, like a, I need a handout. No. <laughs> it says, I swear by the moon and the stars and the sky, I'll be there. I swear like the shadow that's by your side, I'll be there for better or for worse. Till death. Anyway, till death do us part, I love you with every beat of my heart, I swear. So one of the premise of this song is to make sure that the object of my love The person who I'm singing this song to understands how much I love that person. I love that person so much. I swear I won't leave you. I swear I will love you and be by your side like a shadow. I swear by the moons and the stars and the sky, by the things that are greater than who I am, that I love you. God, in his love for us, swears by the only thing in the world that he can swear by, which is himself, and says to us, He swears. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. As we have mentioned before, the people of Hebrews face some type of persecution. Verse 18 says that we who have fled, that is, we who have faced some type of persecution, some kind of adversity, those who may have had to leave their home and country like Abraham. The preacher wants his hearers to take hold of the hope and to be greatly encouraged. Because, you know, it's so easy and much easier for us to trust in God when things are going well. It's when things are not going well, when things are rotten, when you find out about having cancer, when you hear about a child dying, when you go through almost three years of covid That's when we start questioning whether or not God is really with us, whether or not we are still part of his plan and his blessing. 
This is why the preacher of Hebrews wants to encourage us and wants, to, wants us to find our hope in the immutable and unchanging nature of God and his promises because he understands the challenges of trusting and waiting for God, when, not if, but when we face the storms of life. Perhaps this is why he uses, <clears throat> uses the metaphor of an anchor to talk about our hope in God. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the, for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The promise that God has made by swearing upon himself as an oath is the hope we hold on to when we go through the storms of life. Just in my quick research about anchors, I, I know nothing about boats, but anchors are what grounds the boat so that when there are waves and storms, the boat can stay secured and not be drifted away. There's a thing called a holding ground, which is usually the seabed floor to which the anchor attaches itself so that the boat won't move. But depending on what that holding ground is would determine how well the boat is anchored. So what is, holding, what is the holding ground that the preacher here mentions in our passage today? Verse 19 again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. The anchor that we place our hope in, the anchor that keeps us safe and secure is within the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. What is this inner sanctuary behind the curtain? As Abby shared a few weeks ago, it's the place called the Holy of Holies where the high priest would enter once a year to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. This place called the Holy of Holies is the place where God's presence dwelt. It was the place where God resided. And Jesus has gone and made an anchor to the Holy of Holies, to the place where God dwells. He has attached us by his highly priestly duty of offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice once for all, once and for all, by anchoring us to the very presence of God. We are anchored and tethered to the very presence of God. So when there are storms in life, because there will be storms, no doubt, that we are securely anchored with the promise of God, an oath that he has sworn unto himself that is immutable, that is permanent, that nothing can sever that connection we have with heaven itself, with God himself. So because of this, we can be confident in this life, in the good times and the bad, because we know we are always connected to God, we can venture out to the unknown, the places we may be scared to go. We can, in security, learn to love those who are hard to love, to take chances with people because we are connected to God with a promise that is dependent on God himself. In 1834, a pastor named by the name of Edward Moat visited his friend's wife who was dying in the hospital. He didn't have much to say, but... And what can you really say when, when someone is dying? And his friend liked to sing hymns to his, uh, his wife to comfort her. 
but had misplaced her hymn book. So Edward pulled out a scrap of paper from his pocket where he had been working on the lyrics to a new hymn earlier that day. And into the dying woman's ear, he sang the song, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When darkness fails his lovely face, I rest on, on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. What is keeping you from trusting in the goodness of God? What makes you unsure of his promises to you? What might be God calling you to do or to face so that you can put your hope in his promises? I know for myself at times, is I, I just don't feel like I deserve his love, that I'm not good enough, that I keep making the same mistakes. But I have to be reminded over and over again of this promise of God. What my hope is anchored on isn't on myself and my ability to follow rules and what I can do, but rather what God has done through Jesus Christ for me on the cross. He has sworn by himself as my guarantor so that I can enter the very presence of God. And this is what I have to put my hope in. Our hope is, is in God who made an oath by himself to bless us and to have us part of his promise that he made to Abraham. We, are, we like Abraham, are to wait patiently, anchored in the promises of God, sworn to himself, which makes it unchangeable and binding. Jesus loves you so much that he swears by himself that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He has gone ahead of you and made a way for you to enter into the very presence of God. May you know that God loves you with such a love. And he says to you, perhaps like the song from the 90s, I swear. Let's pray. God, you are so much greater and higher, and yet you have revealed so much of yourself in the person of Jesus. And so we can trust in your goodness. We can trust in what you have done for us, that you made that first move in your love for us, that it wasn't us who reached out to you, but rather it was you who reached out to us. And we thank you in the same way that you are the one that did the work of breaking any kind of dividing walls between us and yourself and have tethered us, to, that you have anchored us to your very presence. So whenever we face storms, whenever we face doubts or we doubt you or doubt our place with you, may we know and trust the promise you have made to yourself. May we hold on to that, that we would put our hope in you and nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.